Hello, everyone. This is Brad Thomas here with IREIT, and uh, we're back again for another C-suite interview. Uh, today, we do have one of the C's on the call. Uh, we have Jeff Lipson. Jeff is the CFO for Hannon Armstrong. That ticker symbol is H-A-S-I. And we're also joined with Chad Ree. Chad is over investor relations and ESG, which we'll talk about shortly at Hannon Armstrong. So thank you both for, uh, for taking your time today to join us. Um, let's start at a high level, Jeff. Um, you know, Hannah Armstrong has been one of my top picks um, this year. Um, and we just finished up our portfolios here first of the month. And uh, boy, I tell you, Hannah Armstrong has just been on a tear uh, from $31 to $16 back to $43. So obviously a big, big bounce back. But for those of you that aren't familiar with Hannah Armstrong, Jeff, could you kind of give us the overview of what the company does, please? Sure, Brad, and thanks for having us on. Uh, Hannon Armstrong is the first public company solely focused on investing in climate change solutions. So what that really means is we make debt and equity investments in energy efficiency, renewables, and sustainable infrastructure. And the business has been around for over 40 years and went public in 2013. Um, in, in response to your uh, whipsawing of the stock price this year, it's important to note that we think much of that uh, immediate sell-off uh, when COVID hit was some confusion uh, that we were in some ways a mortgage REIT because we do operate as a REIT, of course, but we're especially an infrastructure REIT is how we describe ourselves. And now we've moved to that categorization in Russell. Uh, but at the time in March and April, the big sell-offs in mortgage REITs, we feel had a disproportionate effect upon us. And this rise back to, as you mentioned, about $43 today was in large part uh, folks more and more digging in and understanding the story. And we rotating out of some mortgage REIT indices, which, which in the long term is a good thing. So that's interesting. So actually, part of that confusion is, uh, is, is probably on my end, because we actually still have Hand and Armstrong housed under the commercial mortgage REIT sector. So what's a fair peer group? And, and, I, and before you say that, I know in the past we've, we've used net lease, but what would be a, a fair peer group? Well, peer analysis with us has always been challenging because we don't fit nicely into categories, whether it be in, in debt markets with rating agencies, whatever organization is trying to peer us up uh, always has many challenges. But I, again, I think this move in Russell to the specialty infrastructure REIT has been helpful. So some folks like American Tower and Digital Realty, we now view as interesting peers. We, again, slightly different business models. Uh, we've generally always been grouped in with the so-called yield co's. Uh, our model is such that we take a, a lower risk slice of the capital stack than the yield co's, but nevertheless, there's some overlap in the business model there as well. But we certainly consider ourselves a specialty slash infrastructure REIT at this point. Yeah. Maybe we should start covering utilities. Uh, maybe that's the, the right answer. But uh, anyway, I got we got our plate full on the REIT side, and we obviously favor the uh, the REIT laws and the especially you know the taxation piece of that. So, can you talk about the diversification? I know I've reported on this quite a bit, but Hannah Armstrong has a very diverse portfolio, and as as long as we've been covering the company, it's been a number of years. We've seen that in, that enhanced diversification. But can you talk a little bit about the different uh, categories that you're investing in. Sure, and, and we certainly agree that diversification is a big strength of the business. 
we say we operate in about 10 niches. Uh, sometimes it may be defined as, as six or eight or 10 or 12, but roughly 10 niches. Most of them fall into two broad categories, one being behind the meter, more the distributed energy, and the other being grid connected, which is more the utility scale. So to take two uh, examples of, of niches in which we're active on, on each of those, in grid connected, we're very active investing in solar land. So we own uh, quite a bit of land underneath solar projects and lease it back to the solar developer who in turn sells the power to a uh, utility or a corporate. Uh, we're also very active in wind preferred equity on a utility scale basis. And then in the behind the meter side, you know, two of our asset classes in which we're active are residential solar in which we finance pools of leases between the residential solar companies like Sunrun and SunPower and their homeowner customers as well as energy efficiency, where we finance uh, via our clients energy efficiency upgrades, lighting, heating, cooling in both government and private sector buildings. So a little bit of, a, uh, of an overview of our investor classes, our asset classes there. Sure, and, and I'm gonna maybe uh, pivot over to a little bit of the COVID discussion here because I know you mentioned the residential element and how has that, um, how has COVID impacted the residential business model. Obviously, there's some still number of distressed um, people looking for jobs and, you know, the housing and, and so forth. So can you kind of see how that how you've been able to manage through that risk? Sure. And in and, and part is how have our clients managed through that risk. So if you look right. at sort of the Sunrun and SunPower business model in March and April, there was a large disruption in new sales because folks didn't want people knocking on their door or working on their roof. And they use that time to go in a direction they're already headed, which is quite a bit of digital sales. And by April or May, uh, particularly by May or June, sales really started to pick up again via, uh, via digital sales. And the other phenomena that happened in that period was folks got way more in touch with their home power system by working at home so much and the resiliency of it, the expense of it, the environmental friendliness of it. And that led to actually a surge in purchase of solar panels. So throughout the summer, those companies have done quite well as evidenced in their stock prices. And it's given us over the next several months, a really good pipeline of, of leases that we'll be able to finance. So that business is actually headed in a very positive direction right now. Great. So what would you say are the, you know, kind of primary, um, drivers for the business and where are you primarily investing in right now? I think our business in terms of, you know, the diverse, the strength of the diversity is oftentimes that we are light in certain asset classes and heavy in others. And that is the strength of diversity. Although right now there's not really any of our niches in which we operate that isn't well represented in the pipeline. So, you know, the most notable, investment we've made recently, of course, is this NG transaction we announced in early July, where we're putting to work 540 million in US grid connected uh, portfolio of projects, about nine wind and four solar projects uh, that we're co-investing in with NG, who's one of our larger clients. So a really good example of a large grid connected transaction. But a few months before that, we did a transaction with NG and the University of Iowa in which they essentially made a large upfront payment in exchange for operating the infrastructure of the university over the next 50 years. And, and we took a preferred equity investment in that transaction. So 
uh, it's fair to say all of our niches are well represented in the pipeline at this point. And, 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 and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, a lot of your deals, what, what would you say the average deal size? Because I know they've been somewhat smaller, but you mentioned some that may be uh, larger in scope. So but what would you say the average deal would be? The, I, did, I did point out some of the larger ones, but it's a good point that uh, the average deal size for us is more in the 10 to $15 million range. And that does at times give us a competitive advantage because we are willing to invest in things that fly below the radar of the big banks and the big infrastructure funds. And that's been a successful way in which we built the business as well through some modest sized transactions. Great. Um, before I, I wanted to touch on the balance sheet, but I may ask Chad a little bit in terms of the, I know you guys have, have uh, really stressed a lot this ESG, which is obviously a big important value proposition for the company. Uh, Chad, would you mind talking a little bit about, I guess, kind of what you're doing and kind of the, under the ESG umbrella? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Hannah Armstrong has been an ESG leader since uh, we've been public since 2013. Um, you know, very recently we're focused on diversity and inclusion. Uh, we most recently announced a, a large corporate donation to a number of three different um, organizations focused on uh, fighting racial injustice and, and ensuring voting rights and access. Um, more generally, uh, we've, um, we're one of the first public companies to implement the task force for climate related disclosures into our financial filings. So we've been a leader on the disclosure front as well. And uh, we've helped to uh, ensure diversity, um, especially gender diversity uh, on our board. We have uh, a third of our independent directors are women, including our lead independent director. Uh, and in addition to that, we, we've taken a, a kind of a leading role in disclosing the carbon footprint or the reduced carbon emissions of our investments. We have this proprietary um, metric that we call carbon count by which we measure the efficiency by which our dollars reduce carbon emissions because every investment that we make, the mission of our company is to reduce climate change impacts. So we've, we've taken a leading role in a number of uh, ESG uh, related pillars. And, um, and, and we think that's certainly helped our cost of capital um, as well. Great. Thank you. Well, uh, Jeff, moving over to kind of your wheelhouse now, I guess, being the CFO, of course, uh, let's talk about the balance sheet and uh, liquidity, which is obviously an important uh, given this COVID environment and how you're, uh, you know, how you're going to continue to grow this, this pipeline. Sure, and it's a timely question because we've been very active in capital markets just in the last uh, two weeks or so. So to take a step back, we primarily fund ourselves on the debt side in three ways with bank credit facilities, with unsecured term debt, and we're rated double B plus by both S&P and Fitch. And by secured debt, primarily with insurance companies who are looking for long-term fixed rate assets to finance. We've had longstanding relationships with, with many uh, household name life insurance companies. Uh, and then of course we issue equity as well. Uh, recently, we just did two transactions just in the last two weeks, a $375 million 10 year transaction that priced with a coupon of 3.75. And then we did a convertible bond transaction that had a 0% rate and is a three year transaction. It's one of only 14 0% convertible bonds ever done. 
And it's only the second one ever done by a company that pays a dividend with the other one being Microsoft. So extremely successful transactions, re really a reflection of what Chad said in terms of ESG taking hold with debt and equity investors and their desire to continue to finance business like ours. It's a result of us continuing to perform, of course, and that's well received by investors. But we are lowering our cost of capital. I think those two transactions just in the past two weeks are a good reflection of that. And as we lower our cost of capital, of course, we increase our return on equity. Is that the uh, lowest tenure that we've seen with the company at 375? Is that? It's the first tenure that we've done. Yeah. Uh, we've done a, a few five-year transactions, but we always had the desire to extend duration given the long duration of our investments. And this was the first time we chose to do a tenure and it was a coupon even lower than the transactions we'd done at five years. So very pleased by the rate we achieved on that transaction. Great. Now, I know in terms of growth, um, I know you're one of the few REITs that didn't pull back uh, their guidance. Uh, you did a uh, essentially a three-year, you know, forward-looking guidance almost, you know, two years ago. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about kind of what are you, what do we see? What have you, what have you told the market in terms of your growth prospects uh, for 2020? Sure. So 2020, as you mentioned, is the third year of our previously issued three-year guidance. And the midpoint of that guidance for 2020 would have been core EPS of $1.43. We in February on a pre-COVID basis indicated we'd be above that $1.43 for 2020. And then in May on our first quarter earnings call on a post-COVID uh, status reaffirmed that we would be above $1.43 for this year. So COVID did not change our guidance. When we did that in May, that was extremely well received because that was a moment in which most of the S&P 500 either completely withdrew or reduced their guidance. And we reaffirmed what we said in February. So uh, we feel very good about that above $1.43 for this year. Great. Now I'm going to go back to our original conversation about the confusion over mortgagery. And uh, one of the reasons we, we have put uh, the company in a mortgage classification is because uh, historically you've paid out about 100% of your core earnings. So when I look at dividend growth, obviously uh, on, an, on an equity REIT side of the uh, business, we look at the payout ratio. And there's always that margin of safety that exists between the actual payout ratio and the uh, earnings metric, the applied earnings metric. So what is the applied earnings metric in terms of you know, looking at the company in terms of the dividend growth and kind of the capacity of how you're paying out dividends, because you've had a fairly successful, good track record of dividend growth and uh, kind of how would you, how would you answer that? Sure. So I think the way to think about that is in 2013, as a newly IPO'd REIT, we were very focused on maximizing the dividend and typically paid out at or close to 100% for the first few years. Over the last few years and looking to the future, we would like to grow our EPS faster than we're growing our dividends and thereby reduce our payout ratio. We think that's a better way to run the company. We're very, very confident in our pipeline and feel good about our pipeline and hope investors acknowledge that retaining capital is a good thing when you have great, great investment opportunities. So without putting an exact number on it, you know, we've already reduced it into the mid 90s. And I think investors should expect us to continue to reduce the payout ratio, but still show dividend growth. So just dividend growth a little slower than EPS growth, which will increase the payout ratio. So um, 
dividend growth, but at a slower rate than EPS is the story there. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Well, um, I think I've answered, those are really most of my questions. I, I uh, you know, I guess the stock price has obviously done, done really well. And, uh, you know, we, we hope it's gonna continue to move forward in the future. La last thing I do wanna say, I just remembered, in terms of, uh, you know, insiders, I know it's been a while since I've covered the company and you've obviously gained a lot of um, uh, ownership uh, base over the years, but does the company still have any, you know, what's the roughly the insider ownership or just curious if that's a, what number that you've got that. The yeah, the insider ownership, including both employees and directors is in the four to 5% range. Okay. So still pretty, pretty decent insider. Yeah. It's been, that number's been pretty stable. Yes. Okay. Great. Well, listen, uh, Jeff and Chad, I really appreciate your time today jumping on this call. Uh, congratulations uh, with the success of the company and uh, the, uh, the most successful pick uh, 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 this year of us. In fact, it's been uh, a number of years running. So uh, continue, continue along and uh, wish you all the best, best of luck. Thanks so much for having us on, Brad. Uh, enjoyed talking to you. Thank you.